morning, family. Everybody doing all right today? You guys good? Look, I know you guys are having a great weekend because the Hogs didn't lose this weekend. They didn't play, but they didn't lose anybody either. Come on, if you're thankful to be in the house of God and in his presence, let's give him some glory this morning. I think he's worthy. Amen. Good to see you. We are back in the year of the Bible. For those of you who might be new around here, uh, we decided as a church we we're going to spend a year and read through the Bible together using the one-year reading plan. And so uh, you can get on track. We've actually got the reading plan for this month and all your seats. So you can take those. And, and, uh, and if you happen to be around here for a while and you knew we were doing that but you got behind, don't be discouraged. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just start over again right where we're at. Catch up. Jump right in. And uh, we're going to be looking at some scripture from that this week. Uh, but I, I will say it's important for us to have a foundation in the word. How many of you guys believe that? Amen. That we need the word of God in our lives and that to be the foundation. And especially with everything that's going on around. I don't know if you all know this. There's a little bit of tension out there right now. There's some tension out there. And, uh, and people responded in some crazy ways, even on social media. I've seen, I've seen some people posting some stuff. I'm just like, whoa, I can't believe they said that. Even Christians. Like even Christians, man, some of us, we're getting sucked into this thing. And uh, even myself, like I, I've, I've felt myself even using some scripture out of context. I'm watching these debates and I just keep quoting Jesus wept, Jesus wept. He's weeping. Jesus be weeping. I mean, he's, and, uh, and I've seen some people doing that too. Just, just taking scripture like because they're, they're upset and they're passionate and they want to be right. The easiest way to be right is God said, and then throw out some scripture and use it out of context. And so I think it's important that we keep things in context uh, because the word can help us. I wouldn't suggest, though, that you ever just take the word of God and like plop it out on your bed and be like, wherever it opens up to, wherever my finger leads. And that's exactly what I'm going to go with as far as God telling me to do something. Now, that might have worked a few times for a few people. And you've probably heard some of those stories. But what you don't hear about is where it backfires. Because it backfires sometimes too. True story. New Christian really needing some advice on something. So he decides, man, I don't even know where to go, but I'm just going to start thumbing through. And wherever my finger lands, man, I'm just going to take that as God's instruction, what I need to do. And this is where he landed in Habakkuk. It says this, drink and let your nakedness be exposed. And you read about him in the Cabot Police Report. Um, <laughs> here's another one. Ever been frustrated with your kids? You don't want to land on this verse. <laughs> it's not necessarily happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth his little ones against his stones. I don't think that's NIV. But uh, then this is my favorite one. Romans 14 two. One man believes that he may eat everything. Another man is weak in faith and only eats vegetables. Come on, where are my hunters at? Men, people of faith, praise God. <laughs> We're going to try to keep things in context this morning. You're the Bible and Psalms. We read in Psalm 100. And there's a couple of things that I felt like this verse helped remind me of that I think is important for all of us to be reminded of. And first of all is this, whose I am, who I belong to. And the, and the second thing is who owns everything? Who's in control of all this? Because I think sometimes we can forget those things. Who's you are? Who do you belong to? And who's really in charge? Who owns all these things? 
And Psalms 100 lays out in a pretty matter-of-fact way. You notice this reoccurring theme as we read through this. Verse 1, shout to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. Everybody say his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Aren't you glad that no matter what you see on TV or whoever winds up getting elected, that God's faithfulness lasts forever. That your kids and their kids and their kids' kids have access to the faithfulness of God. That no matter how crazy things go, we know who we can belong to and we know who owns everything. And he is faithful. And that's great news. But we also live on planet Earth. And we are subject to so many things that can cause us to forget whose we are and who owns everything, who is ultimately in control of everything that happens. It begs the question, what is it that causes me so easily to forget whose I am, who I belong to? I mean, I know that I'm a Christian. I know I do my best to live according to his word. But every once in a while, it seems like everything around me is pulling on me in different directions to have my attention, to have my identity. The fact is, we live in the busiest world. Things are more busy now than they've ever been before, and they're not slowing down. And I ask people every day, and I ask probably 40, 50 people today, I always ask them, how are you doing? And their response is no longer just, I'm doing good. The response now is, I'm doing good, just busy. I'm just busy. I've got a lot going on. Life is moving at a high rate of speed. We're processing more information than we ever have before. Our news feeds are off the charts. Everything that's going on. And... And we live in a world where the average attention span is eight seconds. Eight seconds. Do you know what that means for a preacher? (laughs) That means while I'm talking in the course of one minute, seven to eight times, you're not even thinking about what I'm thinking about. And I'm not even thinking about what I'm talking about. Because our attention span is drawn in so many different directions. Now car companies are developing technology because we can't even keep attention for eight seconds so we don't kill ourselves. That like wakes us up. You're driving, by the way. Because our attention span is so short. Do you know what this means in marriage? It means, ladies, if you got something to tell your husband, you better tell them shortly and quickly. I mean, you better get it out there because they, you ain't going to have them very long. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Because we are not going to listen very long. We got short attention spans. The world is moving fast. Think about this. Turn of the century, it took 38 years for 50 million people to get access to radios. Just a couple decades later, it took 
It took 13 years for the same amount of people to gain access to television. When Instagram came out, it took one and a half years for 50 million people to gain access to it. That's how quickly information, the communication era, globalization is excelling everything. And because of that, we get busy. And the problem I face in my own life is Jesus, Jesus, my Savior, often just kind of gets thrown into the mix. Too easily, even for me as a pastor, Jesus just becomes something that I do and not someone that I have a relationship with. Because we're busy people. I think there's this great exhortation in the word in Ecclesiastes. It says in verse 1 of chapter 3, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And if that is true, I think that it may be time to slow down. I think it may be time to consider what's most important. Because if I ask you, and even myself, if I asked you, look, if you listed your top three priorities, most of us would probably give the same top three. Like we would know, okay, uh, first of all, I got to put God at the top. Obviously, God has to be number one. As a Christ follower, I've got, God's got to be number one. And then number two would be relationships, including your family. Like that's number two. And then after that, it's, it's my job. The problem is that has been completely flipped upside down. We spend all our time working. And we got some time left over. We'll give it to our family and relationships. And then God has a tendency to kind of get leftovers. Because we're busy. If, if I could sum up in one word, really what we're dealing with, what we're talking about, it would be the word Distraction. We live in a world with so many distractions. And I want to talk about two primary distractions. The first one is just earthly distraction. Earthly distraction. Let me ask you this. How many of you are easily distracted? Some of you are like, I'm sorry, what were you saying? Like, where am I? Oh, church. Yeah, uh, hey. A lot of us can be easily distracted. You know, when you're raising kids, every parent, if you're really honest, there have been times that because you were busy or you were distracted, you may not have taken the best care of your kids that you could have been or should have been. I know that this has happened to me a lot, but I want to talk about Cody Uh, because it's just easier to talk about her doing it than me. And so uh, one time, just a while back, Cody was putting the kids in the car, and so she took our, our youngest son, Reeves, and, and put him in his car seat and got him all buckled in and everything, and then was off. And, and, and you know, my, my wife, bless her heart, thinks she's a race car driver, and so she kind of, you know, she, she's just bobbing and weaving, and as she's driving, she gets on the interstate, and as she comes on the interstate, and she, she kind of tries to merge into traffic, she hears a thump and a roll and a screech and a scream from the back. And, and as she looks in the rearview mirror, Reeves is in his seat. He is upside down. He's upside down in between the seats because although she had firmly secured him in his seat, she did not secure the seat to the vehicle. I can't believe you did that. Judgment. 
when we're distracted, we forget details. The truth is, a lot of our kids, the only reason why they're here today is because his protection was greater than your distraction. (laughs) Praise God for that. But we all get distracted. Jesus himself, he he faced distraction every single day. You can think about the crowds, the people. But what's most important is how did he handle the distraction? What did he do with that? I think he had to face distraction with people, relationships. I think some of the greatest distraction he had to deal with came from his disciples. If there was one guy out of all of his disciples, I think that could have been the most distracting. And you may have a different disciple in mind. I think Thomas would have been one of the most distracting guys. Why? Because some of the most distracting people in my life are the people that are just skeptics and doubt and won't believe for anything good. You know, kind of the Debbie Downers. And all of you can probably think of somebody right now that's just this way. It's like, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what kind of praise report you have to give them. It doesn't matter how excited or positive you're feeling about something. Their response is always going to be skeptical and negative. You could go up to them and say, man, I just won the lottery. They're like, "Mm mm-hmm, you're gambling. You're going to hell. (laughs) Man, I've had a little bit of a headache lately. Will you pray for me? Yeah, I will, but you probably got cancer. You're probably dying. Just negative. And that is really, really distracting. And Thomas, you know, he struggled with this so much, that became his identity. We know him as Doubting Thomas. And so often the things that become our distractions can also become our identity. The things that can be a distraction to other people because of us, a lot of times becomes our identity. And Jesus, man, he was constantly having to deal with these people. Thomas, he was one of these people, I think, that could have presented a distraction. And yet Jesus had so much grace for him. I mean, even after he rose from the dead and all the other disciples, and Thomas like, mm-mm, I don't know, I don't think it's him. It's not him. It's not him. Show me something. I got to see something. And Jesus still loved him. It's probably safe to say that most of us know what the quote-unquote bad distractions are. You know, the, the immoral things of life. The things we know that we don't want to look at. The things we, don't, we know we don't want to participate in. The things that we know we don't want to put into our bodies because it's going to ultimately be unhealthy for us. And substances and that kind of thing. We, we probably know what the bad distractions are. But I don't think on a whole, on a percentage-wise, that's what most of us are struggling with. I think what most of us struggle with are what are the good distractions. Not the things that are necessarily bad. They're actually good things, but they can still be distractions. I find in my life, most of the things that I would associate myself with are not bad things. They're good things. But they can still be a distraction. So maybe you men can relate to this because I'm trying to be a godly man. I'm trying to be a godly husband. I'm trying to be a godly father. I still got to provide. I've got to make a living. I've got to have a plan for the future. I want to go to life group. But there's only so many nights a week that I have open. Should I spend it with my family or should I go to life group? I want to go on that missions trip. 
But I only have so many vacation days. If I go on the mission trip, am I going to have enough days to go on family vacation? Will I be able to afford it if I do this? How do I balance all these things? And none of those things are bad things. They're good things. But how do we balance them? How do we get to a place where those good things are not just distractions away from the best things? the most important things. And I find that so often with the pull of all these things, it winds up removing our joy that the old saying goes, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. And I feel like that's what happens in our culture where we just get busy to the point that it sucks the joy and peace that Jesus came to give us. Because we get so busy. The problem with these early er, earthly distractions is eventually it leads to a spiritual distraction. Because we operate within patterns of life. So the pattern is you're going to get into this place where the earthly distractions are happening and then something negative is going to happen. A tragedy is going to happen. Something's going to happen in your life. And now because you're so busy... You're going to respond. You're going to react. And you're going to want Jesus just to show up the way that you want him to show up in the time frame that you want him to show up. And he may not be operating that way. Now, all of a sudden, not only are you busy, but you think Jesus is busy, too. And you think that he's so busy that he can't hear your prayer. He can't deal with this thing that's going on in your life. And that's not the reality, but this is where we get. And so because of that, it becomes a spiritual distraction. Because you're burdened about something. And you don't think that Jesus can hear your prayer about it. I think when you're raising kids, look, when you're raising kids, and we're all crazy busy raising our kids, and then something happens, a struggle, a situation or circumstance. One of our kids is struggling a little bit. They're having a difficult time. It could be socially. It could be... It could be with their schoolwork. It could be a lot of different things. But when one of those things happen, it's one of the things that can suck the joy out of a home quicker than anything. Because you're going along and all of a sudden, your kid who you love so much is struggling. And I think in that moment, because of the busyness and the distractions around, you forget that Jesus loves them infinitely more than you do. And they want to help you. But you can't see it in the moment. Just this last week when Cody was out of town and I had three of the kids by myself, it is not good for man to be alone, people. I mean, I just want to tell you, I've always respected single parents, but after this last week, I'm just like, oh my gosh, we need to buy you all something nice because it is crazy. But in the middle of that, so I'm here at church and we have the kids and in between services, in between services, One of our kids has been struggling a little bit with their language, and I'm going to try really hard not to say the name of the child. This youth worker came up to me and said, one of your kids said a bad word. Twice. And I'm not going to tell you the word, but I will tell you it wasn't truck. So this child said this word Twice. In kids' church. (laughs) Around other kids. And so now I've got to go back into a service 
and worship Jesus. <laughs> Thinking about how this child is dropping F-bombs <laughs> at church and how I get to send the report to Pastor Rick. Church went really well, except for my child dropping F-bombs. And I'm sure the other question you have is, where did he learn that language? Cody. I'm joking. It was your kid. And I'm going to be real Christian right now and not tell you exactly which one of your kids told him. That can be a spiritual distraction. It can be a spiritual distraction if I forget whose they are and who created them fearfully and wonderfully. It can be a distraction if I forget that he has equipped me with everything that I need to help them step into their plan, their purpose in Christ. That can be a spiritual distraction if I forget the big picture. If I forget and too often, though, we can fall into so many stories in the word of God of people that gave into these spiritual distractions, even around Jesus. Jesus was dealing with people. It's like he's doing all these miracles. He's clearly given all the proof and evidence that he is God in the flesh. And yet people still question his timing, his motive, his purpose, all those things. At one point, Lazarus dies. Jesus' best friend and Martha, his sister, is like, I can't believe this. This is your fault. This is what it says. John eleven twenty one. Lord, Martha said to him, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, you just don't get it, do you, Jesus? <laughs> if you, your timing stinks. You just don't get, you need, you need to pray to yourself <laughs> so you can get some direction on what really matters around here because your best friend, my brother's dead now because you don't understand good timing. That could have very easily been a pretty big distraction, but Jesus is, he's not even thrown off by it because he knows the big picture. He knows what needs to happen and he's dealing with it. How did Jesus deal with distraction? First of all, he was patient. Jesus had patience. Before I moved here to Arkansas, I actually spent a long, a long time fishing. I was a pretty avid fly fisherman for trout in Colorado and Wyoming and even spent some time guiding. And so I understand fishing. I understand what it takes. I understand all the elements that it takes to be a successful fisherman. But when I take my kids fishing, they don't understand. And so you start them with the basics, right? You got to get them out to do a little bait fishing. Just put that worm on there, put it out there. Watch them reel it in every time. They're not patient. You spend the whole time just going from one kid. No, you can't, leave it out there. You got to leave. You got to be patient. Leave it out there. There's, they're still real. I just, I, I, I don't want, I don't want to just wait. I don't want to wait. I want to reel it in. I find that it is difficult to have patience with things that you don't understand. 
And it's really difficult to have patience with people that don't understand everything that you think that you understand. Some of y'all think that you understand driving better than everyone else around you. And that's why you're so impatient about everybody else that drives around you. But the reality is in order for you to have patience or in order for you to have understanding, it's going to start with patience. You've got to be patient before you can have understanding. And I understand that about fishing. You've got to be patient if you're going to be a good fisherman. But my kids didn't understand that. This is the way Proverbs says it. Look at the order here. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding. But one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Please don't put New Life Church stickers on your car if you're quick-tempered and driving in traffic. (laughs) If you're patient, though, you're going to have great understanding. Jesus had to do this with his disciples constantly, all the time. A couple other scriptures, Ephesians 4.2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. If y'all watched any of the live broadcasts of either one of these candidates doing rallies, you watched the live news feed underneath it. They're not applying these verses, let's just put it that way. There's not a lot of patience that's being applied. Here's another verse, Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Many times our biggest test of patience is going to be relational. It's probably in your home. It's around your co-workers. It's around spouses. It's around kids. I struggle with this too. I would encourage you to be patient with your response. Sometimes even once you've typed up the posts or the email, it's best to let it marinate a while. I would suggest, if you can, give it 24 hours. It's amazing how the flavor will change in time. Don't be so quick to react. When we get reactionary, man, we make big mistakes. Jesus had patience. Jesus also had priorities. Proverbs 12, 21, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Righteousness is simply living right. And Jesus didn't just say that he was righteous or act righteous. He was righteousness. He lived this out in front of his disciples. And so he didn't have to get reactionary because Jesus was viewing things from 30,000 feet and not at the speed and at the level that everyone else was seeing it and being reactionary to. You see, when you're a Christ follower, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. And I believe that he helps you to elevate your perspective so you don't have to become reactionary in the moment. 
Because how many times have we made decisions in the moment that we thought this is what we have to do, but we weren't considering a bigger picture and perspective of what it would affect. You know, in in the years that I've worked in ministry, I've worked with every age demographic from kids all the way up to college age. And over time, I've actually got to walk with some of these students from from elementary age all the way up until they're in college. Makes me feel really old. But from time to time, I'll, I'll get a call from a parent saying, hey, don't tell them that I called you, but can you please help me get my kid back into church? Juniors and seniors in high school, freshmen, sophomore, juniors in college. Can you please help them get them back into church? And it's really difficult because as I think back to that particular family and I think back to how they lived their lives and to the priorities that they were clearly establishing for their family and for their kids. And here's the thing, they love the Lord. They would come to church. But their pursuit and their passion and their priorities we're around scholastics, we're around popularity, we're around extracurriculars. The number one priority was not the kingdom of God and their kids being connected in community because it wasn't the priority for them. And now, they set the precedence, they set the example, they set the model, and they want me to undo their lack of moral authority. And here's the deal. I will do everything I can to try to get their student plugged into the body of Christ and into community. But unwiring priorities that they've watched their whole lives, that's a really tall order. None of those things are bad. None of them are bad. But they can just be good distractions. Away from the priorities. Can you do those things and still keep the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, as your number one priority? Yes. Yes, you can. Absolutely. It is more difficult. It's hard, but you can do it. 